Jesus said to Pilate, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And so Pilate asked him, What is truth? Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Political signs, political bumper stickers are a very strange endeavor. I mean, I understand what's behind people's desire to display their political hopes and affiliations. I can even appreciate the very rare but good pun on a bumper. And I understand that in a time such as ours that people want to draw lines in the sand. But what are we really trying to communicate when we display those particular names or those particular political mascots? I mean, how many of you have been persuaded to vote for someone because you saw their name on a bumper sticker? How many of you have gone into the voting booth and said, oh, yeah, my neighbor has this guy's name in his lawn. Maybe I should vote for him or her. I wonder why we do this, why we display for everyone to see. I mean, it kind of boggles the mind. We say that our political affiliations are something we're supposed to keep in the private sphere, but we like everybody else to know. I think that maybe we do it because we want to make people mad. I think maybe we do it because we're thinking about how when we're in traffic, that person who cut us off, they're going to have to see who we're going to vote for. I think maybe we do it because that neighbor we can't stand down the street of the other political aisle, we want him or her to know, this is what I believe. I think we do it because we want to make people mad. It's strange. It's a strange thing to put names on our bumpers or in our front lawns. And what's funnier is how long we will keep those signs and stickers up long after the race is over. Just drive anywhere around our church. And you're likely to see a sign that says, Make America Great Again, or a sign that says, I'm with her, back from 2016. But in the last week, just around Woodbridge, I saw three W stickers. I saw two stickers for Clinton Gore. And I kid you not, I saw one for Nixon Agnew. I had to look up who Nixon and Agnew were. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I don't know who Spear Agnew is, but I know who Richard Nixon was. Uh, I'm just kidding again. But I, I mean, it was on the back of a truck, a truck that had no more business driving on the, on the road anymore. And there in the corner, Nixon Agnew. Think about how long that has been on that bumper. Think about how many people have rejoiced when they've seen those two names and how many people have grown angry. Think about it. These political signs, these bumper stickers, we put them up for the world to see, and I think we do it because we want to make people angry. But the strangest political bumper sticker, the strangest political sign of all that I have seen far too often these days says this, Jesus for president. Have you all seen one of these before? Jesus for president, it's perfect. I mean, these companies that make it, it looks like a real political sign. You know, it's either red or white or blue, and the, the text of the name is just slightly askew. It says something like Jesus Christ for President or Jesus 2020. Those signs are terrible. You know why? We don't want Jesus to be our president. It would be a terrible idea. It might be the worst idea ever. Um, hey, everyone. We are going to have to raise everyone's taxes. And by everyone, I mean everyone because we've got too many people who are hungry. 
We've got too many people who are cold, and we've got too many people who are alone. So everyone's taxes are going to go up this year. Uh, my fellow Americans, I am proud to announce to you our new national initiative, Turning Cheeks. Yep, you heard it. That's right. From now on, if someone hits you, it's illegal to do anything in retribution except offer your other cheek. Tonight, I speak to you from the Oval Office with great news. Every single weapon in our country has been smelted or melted into plowshares so that we can work toward a more agrarian economy. I once said that those who live by the sword will die by the sword, and I meant it. But today, those who live by the plow will thrive by the plow. Jesus 2020. My friends, Jesus would be a terrible president. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? He'd always disappear in the middle of something important just so that he could go pray to his heavenly father in private. He'd probably ditch the Secret Service to go hang out with the homeless in D.C. And he'd probably wear a dirty robe when he spoke from the Rose Garden. Jesus would be a terrible president. But you know what? He makes a pretty good king. In fact, he's the very best king. As I said before, since 1925 until today, churches all around the globe are taking today to triumphantly announce that Jesus Christ is king. Christians everywhere are boldly proclaiming that our allegiance is to Jesus and to Jesus alone. And we remember, we and Christians all over the world, that we humbly bow to no one but Jesus. It's the last Sunday in the liturgical year. And we spend it reminding ourselves about the Lordship of Christ. It's not time for a quaint little parable. There's no little narrative from the Old Testament. No, today we put it all on the line. We are either for Jesus or we are against him. It's kind of funny when you think about it. Taking just one day out of the year to talk about how Jesus is king. Because we usually talk about Jesus in a great number of other ways. We say, Jesus is a great teacher. Jesus is a great healer. Jesus is a great spiritual leader. But our king? We don't like thinking about Jesus as our king. And seeing as how it's the last day of the year for us, it's good and right for us to think about who we've really been worshiping these last 12 months. It's a good time for us to remind ourselves about who Jesus is, was, and will be. Because Jesus was poor. He had no standing in the world. But he preached about a kingdom of God, and it attracted a lot of attention. And it can be very difficult for people like you or myself to grasp the kind of commotion that followed our king. Because we don't really live at all like the people did during the days of Jesus. But for centuries and generations, the Jews experienced nothing but trials and tribulations. They were exiled, they were defeated, and eventually they returned home to disasters. They went through various rebellions, foreign occupations, all the while waiting for the promised king from the line of David. And then comes Jesus. He shook things up. He healed people. He preached about a new reality, and it made people mad. And so the religious elite, the secular authorities, they took Jesus and they nailed him to a cross. He suffered and he died in the most degrading and humiliating way possible. And pretty soon after, his former followers, his so-called disciples, they started out from Jerusalem. And they spread out all over the Mediterranean with one message. This crucified man was resurrected from the dead. And he was Lord and King of everything. 
Now, I know it's hard for us to imagine Jesus as our president, but sometimes it's even harder to imagine Jesus being resurrected from beyond the grave. But that's the whole thing. That's everything right there. Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what makes him our king. Not because he has the right political strategy, not because he knows who to tax and who to forgive, but because he was raised from the dead. Christ the King Sunday, it's strange. It's really political. It pokes and it prods at our sensibilities and our expectations about what it means to be a faithful people. And it leaves many of us, if not most of us, scratching our heads. It confuses and confounds us about life and death and everything in between. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate is confused as well. He is stuck between a rock and a hard place. The people have delivered this poor Jew into his hands and he doesn't know what to do. Jesus hasn't really committed any crime. Certainly nothing that warrants his death. Yet that's what the people want. So what's a pilot to do? He asks questions. He wants to make sense of the senseless moment. He stands before the man who will literally change everything about the world. In him, he encounters something that is strange and political. Jesus' answers poke and prod at his expectations about what it means to live and to die and everything in between. And he leaves scratching his head with this final question. What is truth? Oh, what a question. It doesn't get much better than Pilate's question because for just a moment, it's like we get to jump into the strange new world, the Bible, and we finally get a chance to ask Jesus the question that's on our hearts and minds and souls. Jesus, what is truth? Pilate has the truth standing right in front of him, and he doesn't recognize it. Perhaps he is kept from seeing the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of God's love in Jesus Christ because he was still on that side of the crucifixion. But we are on the other side. We know the end of the story. We know that the tomb is empty. We know the truth. We know the truth that Pilate couldn't see. The truth made possible to people like you and me. Jesus Christ is our king because he and he alone has been victorious over death. It's that simple. On the cross, he drew into himself all the brokenness and all of the pain and all the sorrow in the world. And in the resurrection, he conquered it. He destroyed it. He obliterated it. He came into this world as God in the flesh. And from his resurrected dominion, he rules as the living Lord of life and of death and of resurrection. Jesus, Jesus is the truth. And so on this Christ the King Sunday, as we re-encounter the truth, as we look back over the last year, there is a question that hangs in the air above all of our heads. It's a question that's very similar to Pontius Pilate's. Who do we want to be ruler of our lives? Who do we want to be in charge? Because the answer for most of us, if not all of us, is of course, we want to be in charge. We want to be the master of our fates. We want to be the captain of our souls. Most of us here came of age in a world in which the individual reigns supreme. We elevate self-made people. We want to put self-made people in places of power. But if we're in charge, why aren't things going the way we hoped? If we're really in control of our lives, why do we bicker with the people closest to us? If we're really the captain of our fates, why aren't our children doing the things they're supposed to do? Our heightened and individualistic culture is not one that is familiar to our king. 
Being left to our own devices leaves us isolated and afraid and full of questions. But there is no such thing as being alone in the kingdom of God. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to Jesus' voice. We are not alone, nor are we meant to be alone. We belong to something, and we belong to someone who is greater than ourselves. We belong to the truth, who is and was and is to come. Jesus is our king. Not because he makes our lives easier. Not because he has better solutions for our political problems. Not because he promises to protect us from the evils of this world. He is simply our king because he is simply the truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that we might not perish but have eternal life. The incarnation, the defeat of death, they're the only qualifications necessary for Jesus to become our king. There's a reason. There's a reason that Jesus' kingdom, to put in his words, is not of this world. Because this world isn't the end. This world doesn't determine everything that happens to us. It does not hold all the power. Jesus died and rose again to bring a new world, a new world to your life and mine, not defined by those with power, but by the one who points toward himself and therefore to the truth. And so like Pontius Pilate, we stand before the one born in the manger, the one who wandered Galilee, the one who died in a tree for you and me. And we get to ask a question. Hey, Jesus, what is truth? And his answer is, I am. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen.